Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Kratom Guy Show. I'm your host, Mike Overstreet, the Boston Kratom Guy. This is a show where myself and experts from around the nation discuss Kratom news and current events, the latest in Kratom science, and other herbal alternatives with frequent interviews from influential doctors and advocates. Thank you so much for joining us. Let the show begin. Today, I have a very special show, and I will say that it was very difficult for me to put this show together. We are joined by Troilana Manson, mother of Aaron Manson, who recently tragically died at the age of 26 of a multi-drug overdose at their family home in British Columbia. The coroner reported to Troilana and the family that out of the many substances that were found in Aaron's system, Kratom was to blame. First off, I want to thank Troilana for not just joining us on the show, but for her courageousness, for speaking out, and for the fact that she is so open to learning more and continues to ask the hard questions. Also for her open-mindedness about Kratom, harm reduction, and the harms of the war on drugs. For me, being a new dad and dealing with my own past battles with addiction, this was very tough and emotional. Not just the interview, but the post-production as well. To be quite honest, I had put together a whole big opening that I broke down everything we discussed that I was going to... Uh, that I was going to go over before I took you to my conversation with Troilana. Ultimately, I decided it'd be best for me to keep this opening short and to the point. I will follow up on our next episode with all of my thoughts. I'm also very eager to hear your thoughts about this as well. In addition, we have lots of great announcements for the new year that I'm really excited to share with you guys. What I can tell you is that even after... All the time since Aaron's untimely passing, there is still lots of speculation and many unanswered questions surrounding this case. Troilana did say that she'll be following up with the coroner to try to find out answers to some of the questions I brought up in our conversation, like the exact levels of substances found in Aaron's system. We believe that if we can get some solid numbers and answers to some of the unanswered questions, this information may be able to save somebody's life in the future. Next up will be my conversation with Troyana after a quick word from our sponsor. I'm so excited to have Organic Kratom as our sponsor for today's show. Plus, they'll be giving away a $100 gift card to one lucky listener later on in the show. Right now, they are offering an exclusive deal for all of you guys, the listener, to save 10% off by either following the referral link in the description or using the coupon code KratomGuy at checkout. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you guys know that I'm very serious about my Kratom and only promote the brands we know, love, and trust. Organic ticks all the boxes you want for a trustworthy Kratom company. Not only do they have excellent products that I tried, all their products are 100% organically grown. They work closely with organic farmers who adhere to strict protocols including eco-friendly farming practices, proper drying techniques, and continually monitoring the growing conditions of individual plant health. That means never any fillers, additives, synthetic substances, 
All their capsules and powder are vegan, non-GMO, gluten-free, preservative-free. We're talking just 100% pure Kratom. All of their Kratom powders are tested by third-party labs to ensure their products meet the highest standards for purity and overall quality. They also accept Zelle, Visa, MasterCard as payment options, as well as crypto. Organic Kratom, organic, raw, natural. And this would be a good time for a small disclaimer that neither myself nor any of my guests are medical professionals. Nothing we say should be considered medical advice. And you should always seek the advice of a physician or medical professional before taking anything. Any copyrighted material is used under fair use for education or criticism. Enjoy the show. I know we we were just talking before the recording um, that you're a kindergarten teacher. Are, are you you're still a kindergarten teacher or retired? I just retired in June. Okay. And I had decided this year to retire, um, and certainly with um, the overdose of my son, it put me in a position where I knew I was doing the right thing, um, and. I had hoped actually to be a substitute teacher um, just to kind of help wean me off of full-time teaching, uh, especially with kindergartners, right? Because it's so much fun to be around. But uh, my focus has really changed. And it's more along the advocacy line. And I am so thankful that advocacy is giving me healing. So, um, at any point, I may uh, have some tears here, but just bear with me. Uh, yeah, same, same with me. Breaking totally down is just uh, maybe a memory that's coming forward. Yeah, no, it, it's absolutely okay. And I was thinking the same thing when I started. I was like, I hope I don't end up crying too much through this thing, because I know <laughs> what I, I know what I put my mother through, and you know, now I'm a, I'm a new father, and you know, I just can't imagine what what you know what you're going through or what you've been through. Yeah. So congratulations on uh, your new one or? Yeah, he's uh, he just turned nine months, Eli. Okay. So you're right fresh in that boat then. Yeah. Um, so my advice is to, uh, um, is to absorb the whole life because you really don't know what's going to happen. Right. And, um, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen. And and I think you know that from just your own life experience. But um, I I look back, we look back over the years of Aaron growing up. And uh, and it gives us a lot of joy uh, thinking about those things. And so I'm, I'm, I will be forever grateful for that. And I think just the fact that uh, my husband's a nurse. And myself, a teacher, we've always been involved with our kids. Um, and there will be times, Mike, that that you kind of go, well, I don't know, I have to work or I could go to my kid's thing. And I'm telling you right now, every time, choose your kid. Okay, I will. Okay. <laughs> so I have to say, this is, you know, I've reached out to many parents who have gotten this um, well, I'd say loved ones who've gotten this, uh, you know, close family who've gotten the same report from a coroner or medical examiner that either it was kratom related death or kratom uh, was the cause. And 
I have to say it's very unusual and it's it's very it's great that you are you're willing to talk and you're you're very open about learning and you don't want to ban it because that's usually the you know the 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 immediate reaction would would be we have to ban it um but i see you know you're you're in the harm reduction uh groups and that type of advocacy which is great um but really thank you for for taking the time to talk to me um so do you want to start with um, just, you know, just about Aaron, you know, what, what, what happened, you know? Okay. So um, I am, uh, this is my new little, um, little uh, a tweak in, in when I'm talking. Um, I just realized that I, I probably just need to start off by saying some of the positive things about him and any of you listeners that are listening, they can say, oh, yeah, that's me, or that's my son. And and then it, hopefully it makes it more personal, uh, some of the stuff that you and I are going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. So he was creative. He was musical. He played guitar. He sang. He sang. Uh, and he was not trained. He, he just took it up on his own. And uh, when he sang, he had a very deep, raspy voice. I have a um, an Italian background, so he has a really deep, raspy voice, and he would sing opera, and so um, oh. and just ham it up. So he was very um, Phantom of the Opera was really uh, uh, his favorite. He was athletic. He was involved in the MMA. He wrote, he, oh. um, he watched Joe Rogan a lot. He was super social. However, in the last few years, he's uh, really. Uh, tended to spike up in terms of social anxiety, so that would really start to hinder his um, his natural and genuine self, which was super social. Um, however, he would seek people out who were the quieter ones just to find out about their story. He was funny. Uh, he was an impersonator. He did all kinds of accent accents. He's handsome, and and I know you're going to say, "Well, that's your bias," but. He, he was handsome, and 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 so there's a quick picture of him. <laughs> I, I've seen the pictures. He's a handsome guy. <laughs> um, he was uh, he was serious and intense. He uh, loved philosophy and he loved getting into debate um, around philosophical ideas, and he found peace in yoga and meditation and hiking. He was kind and caring, and. And the kind and caring person I knew um, is makes it hard because what he ha- would have um, brought to this world was compassion and understanding because of his struggle. Every day he woke up and my day was easy. Um, my husband's day was easy in comparison. But he'd wake up with anxiety and he would be hanging on for most of his days. And I understood, you know, when he wanted to have a drink or if he wanted to use cocaine because his genuine authentic self was super social. And when you have layer that prevents you from being who you want to be. And so if the alcohol kind of helped that, um, then he would do that. I could drink, I could not drink, it didn't affect me. But his day was way different. And 
And so he did a lot of um, meditation and yoga and walked and he ran and he was, he kept his mind busy. He was in fourth year business. Um, um, and so uh, I think that if we understand uh, Aaron, and I know that I'm talking about Aaron, but I, I want listeners to understand that this is not just about my kid. This is about people out there that are just like him. And he had a brother, Levi, who supported him, who didn't have the addictions. He didn't have the anxiety. He didn't have the things that Aaron had. And he supported him while he was trying to do his best in school. So this whole mental health and substance use um, affects so many of us. So Aaron, uh, we've been on this journey with Aaron for about five years. And um, the last couple of years, um, he has taken on recovery like no other person, um, except he wasn't in treatment centers and he wasn't uh, using safe sites and all of that. He read, he watched videos, he talked with us. Um, my husband was in um, early recovery programs uh, with um, uh, mental health here in in our area, and so they, we would have conversations um, sometimes daily about the triggers and all of that. So he was in recovery, and part of recovery is your slips or relapses. And he learned a lot from those things. And he would tell us, you know, these are the things I got to watch for. These are the things that seem to make my day easier. And so his, he wanted to be abstinent. And it was important for him to be abstinent because of how he felt. He felt so clear-minded. He felt highly motivated. He felt um, uh, on top of the world. And so what he wanted was no drugs in his system, whether it be alcohol or anything. Myself, and certainly my husband, we always thought that, you know, we know about slips and all of that. Is there a way that he could maybe um, control his drinking or control his uh, substance use? And, um, but he, was, he didn't want that. He wanted it this way. Um, and it was his anxiety that would be his biggest challenge on um, his sobriety or his um, recovery. Mm -hmm. So he was finished his term and he had one more project to do in a, a math project. And so um, there were some, some circumstances around here that made it challenging for him um that he i think he was just a little more stressed right he was um he had realized he had had his best term ever and sometimes when you do really well that can be a stressor right because you're waiting for the other foot to draw to drop or the right. and so he was almost stressed that holy shit you know i've got through this term and i've done really well and now you know, I'm looking forward to my summer session. And I think part of that, as well as some other things, he ended up out that night and only for a few hours. 
when he got home at 1.30 in the morning, I am speculating his thoughts here. Um, I mean, there were points that we, we do know for sure, but I am speculating that he was very pleased that he was at the end of his term. He had done well. He only had one more project to do. He was only out for a few hours and he was home and going to bed and his relapse was nothing severe. And then he cooked up a huge dinner, which usually is a piece of pizza and he heads to bed. But that night at three o'clock in the morning, he's making a stir fry with the leftover veggies and and he, he lived at home just, just so long. Um, and so he went to bed at about six o'clock in the morning with a container of water, which we always saw. And my husband woke up at that time and he was just like, good to see ya, bud. You know, I'll have the coffee on when you get up. He goes, great dad, I've got a, you know, an assignment to do. Um, I just need to catch a few hours sleep. And uh, I was sleeping, Bart was up, saw him go into his room, close his door, that, that's all normal. He didn't see any red signs, uh, red flag, flag signs. Mm-hmm. And I got up at nine, we heard him snoring at 10 and I had been working on an assignment with my sister. Uh, and so at 12, she took a break. I took a break and I thought, oh, I'll go in and wake up Aaron uh, or just get him going. I was kind of surprised he wasn't already up, but I thought, okay, he's tired. It's the end of the term. Sometimes it's a lot on the brain. And uh, I went over and touched him on his shoulder. Usually walking into his room, I would have startled him. He was a light sleeper and wake up. And I thought, okay, he's really asleep. The blinds were up so I could see him very well. And I went over and touched his shoulder just to kind of say, hey, honey, looking at getting up kind of thing. And and uh, and he didn't he didn't uh, respond. And I thought, holy doodle, he's really asleep. I'd not come across this before, but I was Honestly, what I saw and what I was thinking was he was really asleep. Um, And then I took his arm and I kind of touched it and shook it a bit. And when he didn't wake up, I knew then that there was an overdose. I didn't know what kind of overdose, or at least I assumed it was something in his cocaine. Um, But at that point, I knew. And so um, I'm shaking his body at the same time I'm calling for my husband, who, thank goodness, he was there. So he was in the kitchen and he came in and started uh, CPR right away. And I yelled for my other son, who was downstairs sleeping because he was on night shift with uh, his practicum nursing. And so he came upstairs and the two of them were working on Aaron. trying to do CPR on him. And I, my sister phoned 911, and I remembered that we had the Narcan. So I went and got the Narcan, and we administered different um, vials, or three different vials of, of Narcan to him. And we still worked on him. The uh, ambulance and fire truck were here within minutes, and so can't hang, hang my hat on the fact that they weren't there soon enough or anything like that. All the pieces came into place nicely and efficiently, and everybody did uh, what they could do. 
And, um, but he was gone at that point. And so I do remember uh, at one point I, um, I, they had been working on him for about 10 minutes. And I said to him, uh, who was one of the paramedics there, I said, you can stop. You, you can stop uh, doing this. Um, he's gone. And I realized that. And in Canada, uh, there's a protocol for paramedics. So they have, once they start, they have to continue for a certain period of time based on the health of the individual. So uh, Aaron was a young, healthy male with no other preconditions going on. And, uh, you know, there would have been a chance, right? And so after about 30 minutes, uh, when I asked him to stop, I just sat with him on the floor with my hand on his. I think there was a lot of things going through my brain at that point. And one of them, I really felt, well, I knew he was gone, but I was thinking, oh my goodness, the, the shame and the guilt and the secrecy has killed him. And I really felt at that point that there was like shackles around me. And, and they just fell off of me. And I think in the next 20 minutes, while they were still working on him, I realized that I need to, I need to be brave for him because he couldn't do it. And so my whole point in all of this is to, is to advocate for people like him who have a hard time reaching out. Uh, of course, um, there's other things in it, but this is why I'm here with you, um, because I actually don't talk to people, but really, um, it, it's hard for me to talk to public um, at this level. But there's something about this situation that I think people need to know. And it's... Uh, it's such a, oh, it's a part of this whole substance use and mental health that is so unhealthy. And who are making them this unhealthy? It's all the other people who are looking down on it and they are yeah. judging and putting their opinion where it, it's, Continue, even in my little town here in British Columbia, um, putting people in jail is not person, you know, is now off the street and away from you. But we still have this whole system that is still perpetuating uh, the continued shame and guilt of substance use. Yeah. It's so, the, yeah. It's, well, first, thank you. I wish I could give you a hug. Um, but really, thank you for I'm sharing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the uh, to me, it's it's prohibition. It, it's you know, it's dealing with this mental health issue with handcuffs and deadly force by police officers that really should be doing better things with their time, actually catching violent criminals. 
um, it's it it is it's such a shame and stigma that 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 comes comes with it and that's where i find the most people have the hardest time reaching out and getting help right um, and i i think aaron would have if it was cancer or any of those other kinds of ailments right you reach out for help you know i'm in chemo i'm feeling really shitty right now i don't feel like doing this i mean you could actually uh, voice how you're feeling about your ailment. But I think people who are using substance use, they 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 put it in this kind of like, well, I, I just use it recreationally. And and I do think that a lot of people use it recreationally and, and there are no addictions. I totally get that. But I think that there's also that percentage because they don't want to talk about the mental health or the substance use that they go, oh, I just use it recreationally. Like, it's no big deal. Right. But it is a big deal. Well, it's especially a big deal when you're forced to buy it in an underground market. There, there's no buyer recourse. There's, you know, no consumer oversight. You know, you could get anything when you're trying to to buy something. And it could be anything in that bag or, or a counterfeit pill. Um, exactly. So, yeah. The uh, I mean, for, at first, Aaron sounds sounds really really smart and very self aware. Um, so again, thank thank you for sharing that. I do have uh, I put it out on my Twitter a bunch of questions that that people people wanted to ask. Absolutely, and certainly, if anyone wants to ask me any other questions at a later time, maybe you could put my um. Uh, my email and my Twitter or whatever you want it uh, uh, up so that people can say, you know, that was just like my son. And I'm wondering what you did about this. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I can put your contact in the description. So now looking back on it with, you know, you mentioned abstinence a bunch, and this is where I find, you know, we're, we're, we're finding in states that have legalized medical cannabis, they're showing up to, I think, 33% decrease in opioid overdoses, as well as opioid prescription rates. So it is working as a harm reduction. And that's what I'm seeing a lot with Kratom too, is, um, you know, it, it's hitting those, the certain receptors, it's releasing endorphins and serotonin and dopamine. And so, you know, it's instead of like just a dead stop and then you're dealing with all those emotions that you were getting either, you, you know, your uh, um, anxiety or PTSD or whatever someone's going through. And then you're kind of taking care of it. self-medicating with these drugs. And then all of a sudden you stop with abstinence, you know, you're still dealing with all that, but now you're also dealing with the withdrawal of those substances. Um, so I, I find a lot of people, you know, myself included with, um, yeah, I used to be a heroin addict. So with medical cannabis and with Kratom, it, it really helps um, improve my overall health and well, well-being is, is what I find. And I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people that I've helped directly that are in long-term recovery because of Kratom and cannabis. So looking back on it, um, do you... I mean, it's hard to say, would you do anything different? And, you know, obviously you're, you're not Aaron, you, you can't control him. Um, but the, you know, what, what's your feelings on abstinence and then harm reduction? 
I'm huge on harm reduction. And um, I, it's so weird that people see it as kind of one or two tools and that's it. Um, abstinence. Uh, really, this is about a conversation about adults, right? Uh, when we are looking at um, education and child development, child and youth development up until, you know, 18 or 19, that's a whole separate issue. But I really don't get it. I don't really get to have a say on how you decide to live your life. And so if you are um if you are using heroin or using um kratom or uh, alcohol that's that's your decision on how you are, are going to use it and so i i do understand addictions in there and so if somebody chooses that they want to be abstinent that's their choice i don't get to say well you know what you should just learn to um to moderate better. I mean, I can have my own uh, thinkings on that, but I really should not be telling somebody like my son, you know what? I don't think abstinence is good for you. I think you should just learn to moderate your drugs. And and so I, that goes in all realms. So if, if somebody is addicted to cocaine and it's problematic for them, and it is problematic, you know, for their family and their community, voice our concern to decide when is a good time for them to start the healing process. Say I have, um, I, I just trying to think of an example, but um, as an adult, we're all, we are all in, interdependent. I, and we all help each other, but we have the right to have that kind of power on another adult, like you would maybe over a child, right? Because you're looking after the safety until their brains are older. Mm -hmm. But when they're older, then this is this is a tough one um, for me to explain because I just I just really don't think that I have the right to tell somebody who is an adult how to do their recovery, how to how to use substances. That's up to them. Um, Absolutely. I think it's, it's really personal preference. Like, you know, it could be with, and I know this from so many people like AA and I didn't really work for me, um, but it works for so many people. And, you know, Aaron could have been one of those people that it's really like, they can't touch anything because as soon as they have something, it leads to another thing and then, then they can't stop. So right. I think it's all it's all personal uh, preference, but I definitely think you know harm reduction needs to be more I don't know available or more spoken about. You know, it should be a, a, an option that's, that's right. top on the list. So if if I'm going to get to the crux of some of this stuff here, and this is something I've been just kind of thinking about in the last few days, and and I'm having a hard time, and maybe you can help me with this. But when I think about Aaron going to the street for his drugs, and then whoever he got the kratom from, if I were to actually look at both of those substances, I can almost say 
for certain that, or highly, highly percentage-wise, uh, that his kratom would be much cleaner and um, safer for him than the other stuff. And the reason is, is that, I mean, in British Columbia here, we, uh, the fentanyl overdose and the carfentanil and the just general overdose crisis here in BC is just skyrocketed. And yeah, so they same, are looking same with the U.S. Yeah. And yes. And so I think they're, they have a plan in Vancouver right now that they're trying to get federal approval for, which is um, a safe supply for the Vancouver area because the overdoses are just so high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Kamloops here, how many more times was it cut with junk uh, in there that he didn't know what was in um, versus a friend of he bought Kratom online, packaged it himself because it was a handmade label on it, and gave it to Aaron and said, hey, this might help with your your withdrawal or your anxiety or whatever. So when I look at the two products, <laughs> I'm thinking, which one is safer for him? It was probably the Kratom. The issue I have here is he he was smart enough to know how to read directions. There was no directions on that. So he used like veggie greens sometimes in his smoothie. He was very healthy. He cooked. He was an amazing cook. Um, And he used protein powder. And he would do pre-workout and post-workout and all of this stuff, right? So he knew how much to use in all those other realms. Why is it that he didn't use a proper amount on that day? And I think number one is he didn't have prior experience. Because if he had prior experience and he still didn't know how to use it, he would have OD'd before. But because that this had happened then and the packet was 50 grams and it was empty, um, I didn't know all of this part until it was much later, right, when we get the coroner's report. Um, the preliminary findings was that he had cocaine and he had opioids in his system. And then much later, we get the detailed uh, panel on it. And the, the coroner wants to talk to us before she sends it to us because she, she knows there's stuff in there that um, she wants to have an opportunity to talk to us about. And so we were on the phone for an hour with her. And I, um, at one point, we knew that there was some kratom in the system, but we didn't really know how much or how like was it just a residue in in there or what so we were already looking online to find out what is this kratom he's never talked to us about kratom before and he would talk to us about his drug use after so if he was using kratom before i'm sure he would have mentioned you know mom i there's this product out there i gave it a try and it really helped with my anxiety or something he would have said something and so um, he used, you know, up to 50 grams of that um, do you, packet. Do you, you think he did that in, in one sitting? Yeah. And because the coroner's report said that 
he had extreme and fatal levels in in there. Okay. And and when we looked at the other substances that were in his system, he had traces and therapeutic levels. So the create the cocaine that was in his system was um at a level that would be similar to a recreational use. Did, did they give you levels, uh, exact levels of what was in his blood? I am actually requesting that part. And that's, the that's good I because know, the, the immediate, it's usually the immediate family is the only one, only people that can, can get it. Um, so if you, if you can get all that information, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Because there's other drugs in the system and that's what we had read was in Canada, uh, on our Health Canada site, it says that um, overdose finding kratom in overdose is usually in combination with other drugs, right? Yeah. And so, <clears throat> what I asked, what I asked the coroner was, take kratom out of the system. Would he have overdosed on the other stuff? And she said because. It, um, they were therapeutic levels that she could speculate that it was, he would have been fine because he had hydromorphone in his system. He had uh, cocaine and he had an antihistamine in there. The antihistamine he had taken two days prior. So there's like uh, probably a trace in there. Then he had hydromorphone in there and he probably took it the night, like midnight one o'clock did the coroner give you any indication of exactly that what time he you know if the coroners are he or she um to that aaron took that each substance depending on on the levels she didn't she doesn't have the time stamp she can only go by uh, because the police had confiscated his phone and there was messages uh, between him and the person that gave him stuff. So we can assume it was taken anywhere between um, 11, I think, and, and 1 is when the cocaine and hydromorphone, whether it was together, separately. Okay. Okay. And then they're at therapeutic levels. So, and he wouldn't have OD'd on that part. And the fact that we saw him at six o'clock in the morning after he had eaten, the, the cocaine, Bart did not uh, notice anything around the cocaine or the fact that he, if, if he had taken hydromorphone, that he was coming down. There, mm -hmm. there was no kind of sign or symptom in, in that, that he was at risk. So when he went to bed, he has squatter. And we found the water after um, the coroner had been here. And so um, in the water was this kind of uh, brownie green um, fluid, just yeah. a little bit at the bottom. And then there was kind of powdery, kind of flaky stuff in there. And in our eyes, I mean, it's surprising that the, um, the coroner or the police didn't take that. But I think they just saw it as a water jug, and we took it, put it in the kitchen, and cleaned it. And we didn't think anything of it. We just thought that maybe it was water flavoring of some sort, right? 
or veggie greens or whatever it be. And uh, uh, so then when when the coroner is trying to piece together not only the, the messaging and our story and what, what happened that night and that morning and when we heard him snoring, which was at 10 o'clock in the morning, wait, wait, then she can... Sorry to cut you and interrupt, but have you ever experienced an overdose prior to this with anybody? Me? Yeah. No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I was just wondering is like the, um, I forget what they call it, but it, there's like a, a special snore that people yes. get when yes. when they're about to overdose. It's really loud and it almost sounds like they're gasping. Was that something you heard or was it more of a normal snore? Wow. You've done your research, haven't you? I've unfortunately, I counted them and, you know, it's not something I, I, I talk about, but I. It's called rail. Yeah, I, I've, I've witnessed and. Have you? And um, been the one to do CPR and Narcan on 14 different, um, 14 different times on different people. Wow. Yeah, you, wow. You've been through a lot. You've been through a lot. And, and, and that is trauma, right? Yeah. Like even, even what we experienced here, even though we didn't, I didn't do the CPR and it was likely he was gone. It's still trauma, right? So Mike, it's, that's it's, a lot of trauma that you've been it, through. Yeah. Same, um, same with you. That's, you know, it's extreme for you and you and your family. Because I didn't know any of that stuff. And, and, and Bart has hinted that he noticed that it was different. And the reason he was able to kind of um, justify it or whatever um, was because he had been um, at a friend's place who had a cat. He was highly allergic to cats. And so... Um, in the last, say, four to six weeks, he would take antihistamines every once in a while just because he's so allergic to cats. So when we heard him snoring at 10, I even said, as wow, he's really snoring in there, right? And, um, and you know, if, if Bart really thought there was any chance that it was a... Um, what is railing breathing? He would have checked, and yeah, of course, and he has he, he had to go through that process for himself because he was it was different, right? Um, he 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 knew the sound, but he said to himself, Well, he's got allergies, and so he's probably really snoring, and it's really kind of different because of the the allergies and when we talk you know she figures that that's probably what was going on really? it was that that his breathing was quite suppressed at that point and breathe it out or whatever the the, the railing right. um and maybe had we caught him at that point we would have a different story right but uh 
Yeah, so not many people know about this, Mike. So the yeah, fact it's, it's like one of the worst sounds. So I, I don't know if he was there because you. I my best guess is you would have noticed it. It's like way beyond any um, normal snoring. So that was just out of curiosity. But you also said in your post that he had um, anti-anxiety medicine as well in his system. Yeah. Um, so he had. Uh, yeah. Um, I can't even remember what the name of it is. It's like Isetalaparama or something like that. Um, maybe when you when yeah, you find, find it, yeah, you can send it to me. Sorry, um, I said maybe when you can find it, you can send it to me later. Um, is that a SSRI drug? Ah, uh, you know what? My husband would know. I I'm not sure. It is an anti-anxiety. And he was only on, um, like, uh, um, I take one, and I take, uh, I think it's 10 grams. And then I have been on five grams, which is like half a pill. Mm. And that's my way of, was trying to come off of it. So when Aaron passed, I actually kept it up to uh, 10 grams, just so that it would help me cope with all of this, right? And now I've been going down. And uh, I just want to see where I am. And it does make me a little bit more emotional, but it's still I'm able to think, right? Because that's, yeah, I see it is. There's definitely yeah. no shame in, in, you know, taking something that, that you need. Yeah. Um, and then Aaron was only taking um, five grams and then he had moved up to, to 10 grams. So I think for him, uh, a normal dose would be 10 grams. But he had gone down to five and then gone up to 10. Um, and so he said that that was really helping, especially at night when some of those um, levels of anxiety would maybe peak more at nighttime. But would it be your assumption that he would take it at night? Would he would take it that night before going to bed as well? He typically took it in the morning. Okay. And because he wasn't home, um until late i i'm guessing he didn't take it that morning and so um i mean that's a good point to to see just what level in there but she didn't even write it down like she she did say that the the results the test results did come with it but when she put it in the coroner's report she didn't uh necessarily name that as part of the mixed drug And as promised, here's all the info for the Organa $100 gift card giveaway. To enter, simply go to OrganaKratom.com slash The Kratom Guy Show. It is The Kratom Guy Show. Submit your name, email for a chance to win a $100 gift card. And also, guys, don't forget about the exclusive deal that Organa has just for you guys, our awesome listeners, to save 10% off your purchase and also support the show when you use the referral link in the description or use the coupon code KratomGuy at checkout. Once again, the link to win the free $100 gift card from Organa, no strings attached, just go to OrganaKratom.com slash Show. and good luck. Myself and a lot of other of the researchers that, that I... Um, you know, are in my network and consumers, they're really interested in those levels. 
And it seems like that, and this is what we're finding in basically all kratom related or um acute mitogyne toxicity cases where they say that's the lethal dose is that is when, when looked into further there's always other drug use or poly drug use something else was in the kratom that they didn't know about or they mix it with something or serious underlining health conditions and right. um it, it would be really interesting to see if, you know, if he just didn't know and he took the whole 50 grams at one time. Because I think he did. Yeah, because I mean. I, 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 I He thought it was like a portion size, right? And so he probably just put it in his tall water, which was maybe a liter, 750 to a liter of water, put it all in there. He had had something to eat, probably choked it back because I hear it's pretty bitter. Yeah. And um, and because he had food in his stomach, he didn't uh, vomit. If he had had an empty stomach, I think he would have vomited just from the, the uh, little bit of research that I have done out there is that that's, you know, him taking that on it that much on an empty stomach, he would have vomited. It, it is very surprising. I mean, you know, if I, my pain levels are really high, I can end up taking that amount throughout the day. You know, I normally yes. take, you know, 10 to 12 grams at one time. And then I can do that usually three, four times. But if my pain levels are really, really high, then maybe four or five times. Um, okay. And then that's something that the most I've ever seen is when it's not mixed with something is people get nauseous and have to lay down. You take a quick nap and I've, I've interacted with, I used to sell Kratom, um, hundreds of people that locally, and I've never heard of anybody having such a serious adverse reaction that it would come close to a lethal overdose. And, you know, I, I, I'm not a coroner, a medical examiner, but it's, it really seems like it's incongruent with those other drugs. Right. I am very weary of the anti-anxiety and then the um, the hydro hydromorphine. I, I've had right. somebody go to the hospital because they had a really bad adverse reaction. They took like I think something like thirty six grams, and the only other thing in their system was um, an anti-anxiety medication. So I, there, there's something in there, and I've talked to. Um, different scientists and there is something with some type of en enzyme that it uh, interacts with each other very poorly and can cause a really bad uh, reaction. Um, wow. But it does seem like it's, it's everything on top of it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. So you'd be interested in the, um, um, like if I can get the, the actual levels that you'd be interested in that too. Because definitely. you would know more about the the anti anxiety stuff. Okay, yeah. um, definitely. Just remind me if I forget to. You know, I'm going to go down that road and hunt for it from my corner, and I don't think there'll be a problem. Um, it, sh it shouldn't be because you're immediate family. Yeah, yeah, and um, and so then you know, like that that same phone call that I said to her, you know, separate this. Would he be OD'd? I also said to her, just take the Kratom by itself. Like he had nothing else in his system. Would he have OD'd? And she said, yes, because of the extreme and fatal levels that were in his system. And so 
we're not talking, you know, my, you know, 10 grams or even let's say 20 grams. He, the package that was there was, was not very big. Like it was about that big. Mm-hmm. It had like a, a homemade label on it and it said 50 grams on it. And it was empty. It had just a residue powder on it. And that's what they took, you know, the police took um, for the corner and everything. So um, if he had had 10 grams in his system, um, I don't think that she would say extreme levels. So two two things I can think of is one was was that tested? Was the powder tested after the fact to... Um, to know what exactly is in it, if there's anything else in it. I understand it was tested, but I, you, that's a good question is because there, uh, yeah. Yeah. If there's anything else in it, I mean, there's, there's also lots of stuff that doesn't show up on, on your typical, on your typical, uh, postmortem blood test. So it'd be very interesting. Um, especially with like, I, I sent you that new England, uh, journal of medicine paper. Um, and, they did a very specific, it was, I believe, 14 deaths in Colorado that were all Kratom related. So they took away all the ones that definitely knew they had other drugs in their system. They were left with five and that was just Kratom only. But then after running a more um, substantial postmortem blood test, they found that there was other drugs in the system of all four. And then the fifth one, they didn't have um, residual blood. So it's, and what we're finding that, that these, the coroners only have, our medical examiners only have certain tests that only go so far. And then once it's more testing is done, they're usually finding other drugs in the system. And the reason why, you know, I really mentioned that is because like we have, um, there's a researcher, I believe Mississippi, um, uh, Christopher, Dr. Christopher McCurdy, who, who's been studying Kratom, um, you know, Jack Henningfield, Dr. Jack Henningfield, and scientists from Columbia, Andrew Craigle, and they've been studying Kratom extensively, and them, and uh, there's Oliver Grunman, none of them have been able to establish a lethal dose, an LD50, or a lethal dose of Kratom, or the mechanism of what what would cause a lethal overdose? All the right. all the new research is coming out that's saying it, it doesn't suppress the respiratory system. And it's only one mixed with other drugs or underlying health conditions that you would see a fatal overdose. So uh-huh. it, it's very difficult for, for myself or any of the other advocates for a coroner that doesn't have experience in Kratom to say that this would be on its own, it would be lethal when the science isn't backing that up. Right. You've made some really good points here. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that I need to also clarify with my coroner is, and this has only surfaced in the last few days for me, because when I talk to, uh, we have like uh, um, authority regions in British Columbia, probably all the way across Canada. And mm. so they cover quite a few rural and urban areas. 
And so the chief medical officer of our area, I actually had a chance and opportunity to talk to. And so um, one of the things she said was that it's not um, it's not common practice to test for kratom. And, and that kind of struck me interesting because then if that's true, then why did they test Aaron for, for kratom? Was it because they saw the the package? That'd be my I doubt guess. It. Yeah, I I don't think so. No. I think what happened was, and and of course this is my speculation as well. Um, and, and I can get more information from the coroner. Um, is when they did the test, the initial test, and they saw therapeutic levels, and certainly recreational use, they probably went, "What? Well, then." How did he pass away? So then they probably went, well, let's test for something else. And based on that other packaging that they saw, they probably tested for Kratom. So I, that's my question is, um, if, you, if you don't regularly test for Kratom, then, uh, then how many Kratom in a system? And I don't think that there's any... I think that we've got enough carfentanil and fentanyl going on um, and hydromorphone going on in, in our area that that's what's taken them. Um, I think Kratom with Aaron is so different, his death, um, and it's called a mixed drug overdose. But it was only through my phone call with her and in like what it says here in the coroner's report, uh, mitrogenine was also detected within a range associated with fatalities. So um, when that's why I wanted to ask her is like separately, would have it happened? Yes. Um, but you're right. Like when you start considering all maybe the interactions of the drugs, maybe it heightened up the the kratom i would i would ask her what that range is because we're, we're going to try to get the oh, actual, okay. actual levels um but I, I would ask her what is that fatal range and how she came to that conclusion good question mike i'm going to write that down right now but yeah exactly um what is that range and something else we're seeing, and uh, American Kratom Association is filing bills. They're, they're pushing for a federal law, but in America, the KCPA, Kratom Consumer Protection Act, that says that Kratom will be sold um, unadulterated and the levels won't exceed the uh, mitragyne and 7-hydroxy, won't exceed the levels that are found in nature. So it won't be um, enhanced or anything because what we're seeing is some people are selling extracts or they're calling it enhanced Kratom and basically they'll kind of uh you know extract the the alkaloids from from the from the powder and then they either have a liquid extract or a powder extract and some sellers are taking that powder extract that would be like you know 10 20 30 times what you would see in nature and selling it as a natural powder so people don't know exactly how much they're taking if it's you know quote unquote enhanced or if it's some type of powder extract so it'd be really interesting to see 
you know, if they were able to test that powder on its own and what the levels were, and then also the postmortem um, levels in the blood. Good question. Um, and and so one of the things that you know you just telling me this stuff about the enhanced stuff right away my my brain says oh Jesus now we got more dangerous stuff on on uh, the market but really if if there was a label on there that said that this is an enhanced product you only take you know a half a gram right then then to me that this is this is where our thinking needs to go with kratom or at least in canada where in canada i don't know if you, you had a chance to look but in canada you are uh it is categorized as a natural health product which has different kinds of criteria in order for it to be in that category as opposed to another category mm-hmm. And then you have to have it authorized to sell in Canada. And to date, there is no authorizations given for Kratom to be sold. The only way it can be sold in Canada is if it's for uh, not for human consumption. Right. And unfortunately, doesn't that sound like you're sneaking around? Right. So, yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second, because that's the same thing that's happening in the U.S. And okay. so I think Canada's following the FDA rule on this. The FDA has been going after Kratom for years, going very hard after Kratom, trying to get a complete ban. That, ban. OK. You know, that we both know, push it to the underground market and then people can mix whatever they want with it. No buyer recourse, uh, criminal market, all that. So they tried to ban it in um, 2016 through the DEA. The DEA did tried to do an emergency scheduling. They had to hold a public comment period. And during that public comment period, thousands upon thousands, I forget how many it was, but I think like maybe 50,000 different advocates, science, scientists, doctors, consumers all wrote in and said that they don't want it banned because they're, they're using it and it's helping them. So... What the FDA did at that point, they put in a, it was import alert 5414, and then they, they it's only supposed to be for a year, and it's, uh, then now it's 5415. Um, FDA was using deaths. They they keep citing these 44 deaths. They, they had, um, I think it was eight or nine in Sweden that was mixed with um, a tramadol um, synthetic. There was a, um, a gunshot wound to the chest. The person had kratom in their system, so they called it kratom related. There was somebody else fell out of a window, was on drugs, alcohol, uh, broken arm and a leg, refused medical treatment. They had kratom in their system, so kratom related. And there was a hanging by uh, suicide by ligature, so someone hung themselves. They had kratom in their system, so kratom related. So the FDA is using all these faulty reports to try to ban kratom. It didn't work. The DEA backed off. Um, Health and Human Services at the time wrote a, uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services wrote a letter and said that we shouldn't ban it. They're supposed to be above FDA, and that basically 
you know, if, if we did ban it, it would be, you know, really a catastrophic recourse of all the people that are now using it as an opiate, as a safer opiate substitute would be sent back to the street and it would guarantee lethal overdoses. So what the FDA did is they, they put up that import alert 5414, which is supposed to be just for certain products, certain brand products. So it, it'd be, you know, a company XYZ lettuce had uh, salmonella in it. Their romaine lettuce, we're putting an import alert and we're not, we're not allowing this in. What FDA did illegally is put a blanket statement for Kratom. And they, they said it's no, it's an unapproved food or drug. And this is, they weren't able to do it through scheduling or anything lawful. So they did it like this roundabout way. And they said, uh, it's, it cannot be imported because it's an unapproved food or drug. So sellers were bringing it in. They're putting instructions on how to take it. They were getting raided and all their funds seized, companies shut down because they said, oh, well, you imported it not for human consumption, the only way possible to import it. And now you're selling it, telling people how to take it. So companies, it's the only way to sell it. I think it's what's happening in Canada, same thing as US, is they, they can only sell it not for human consumption. So you have all these all these issues like, you know, um, my mother doesn't drink caffeine. A lot of elderly people with heart conditions can't have caffeine because it, it could literally kill them, you know, mixed with medications. Um, so, you know, you shouldn't be mixing Kratom with anything. But if someone's on certain medications, you know, they don't know how much to take. So you have to do all this, all this research on your own. And if it is enhanced, if it is an extract, you don't know about it. Um, so that's what's happening with, with the labeling. And that's another wrongful death suit that's going on in the U.S. right now. They said the same thing. They're like, there was no labels on it. So it's because they can't. You know, they it, they are allowed to continue to sell it, but without a label. So it's really another instance of the FDA keeping people not safe and making it, it, it a more uh, dangerous market. You, you've said that beautifully. I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> Well, thank you. Exactly. And so that's what that is exactly what you call between a rock and a hard spot, eh? Yeah. And 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 and, and really like if Aaron had had instructions, even if they were handwritten, you know, like but uh I think that's where some of my advocacy wants to be is around the labeling. I don't see anything wrong with the cape Kratom. And in fact, it can probably bet that it's probably cleaner than all the other stuff that's out here. Because in, in BC, it's it's cut so many times with all kinds of stuff. And benzos are our newest one. Oopsick is is it's really causing more um, uh, more problems, more ODs and all of that, having the benzos in there. Um, and so if I if you'd taken a look at the two different products. I, you know, my my first thinking is, and I, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, is I'm thinking that it's um it's cleaner. The person I talked to in in Kamloops here that um, uses it for maintenance period uh, maintenance purposes also was on um, um, opioids, prescription opioids, 
and then was cut off from their doctor. They went to street drugs and then they found Kratom. And so this has been just an hallelujah for him, right? He's He's been uh, functional. He's He's much healthier. He he just said, I I can see myself on this for a much longer period. Um, in fact, he's scared to come off because he he um, he knows he will end up uh, seeking drugs on the street, which is far more dangerous. So for him, he orders from an online Canadian company that tests their drugs, and and he he has um. Uh, a chemistry background. So he really has done his research. I, stuff he was talking about, I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> but, um, and so I, here I'm, I'm talking to this person who, who, um, his joy in life has elevated to incredible levels because he's functioning and he's able to um, manage his addictions and therefore he's able to get the counseling that and I'm thinking okay well he, here he's dealing he's using I don't know if we would call them illicit drugs I guess they would be unscheduled drugs um, and but it's far safer for him to use that than our street drugs so I'm I'm caught between you know two things. I'm, I I do want labeling, but what if the advocacy towards trying to get labeling ends up going south, not south to you, but <laughs> I get goes, you. <laughs> goes goes bad, right? And and then they ban it or they do something that makes it hard for people like the fellow I talked to the other. Uh, I guess a week and a half ago about it. And I think, you know, then I've created something that's, that, that is um, done more harm than good. And well, I, 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 I think if you keep that right, right in the, in the forefront and you can look into, um, we'll probably exchange some emails or messages because we, we both have some stuff we want to send to each other. Um, but the Creative Consumer Protection Act, the, the KCPA, that it's been enacted in, I believe, five states. And that's the one I was talking about earlier that basically it won't exceed the levels found in nature, won't, won't be um, sales to under 21, and it won't be adulterated. Like that if it says it's Kratom in the package and it says the seven hydroxy and the mitrogen are these two levels. That's what, that's what you're going to get. And that allows for proper labeling. So I would look into that and maybe you could contact the American Kratom Association and see if there's any, anything going on in Canada that you could get a part of. But I think if, you know, just like what you said to me, that you don't, you don't want to banned. you want to see proper labeling, you want to see safe consumption. Um, so I wouldn't be that weary about advocating for, safe access you don't think that that would go down the road where you know because it's our policy makers right who make policies and they have no background yeah which i mean i am much more for the free market and um but where i have problems with is mislabeled products you know i'm I can be called a radical or whatever, but I believe people should be able to get whatever drugs they want because they're going to do drugs regardless. Uh, we've only seen drug use continue to go up since the, the start of the drug war. So just make it safe. People should be able to get whatever drugs they want. It's when they're mislabeled and they have other 
drugs in there, like we're seeing now with the fentanyl and carfentanyl. Um, the U.S. just exceeded 100,000 deaths over this past year, and the vast majority of opioid deaths, overdoses, and the vast majority of them had fentanyl or some type of fentanyl analog in, in them. So it's, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely see both sides of it. And basically, and like many advocates are, don't agree with me at all, but I, I really want the free market. And when I like really start advocating for the uh, Protection Act, the Creative and Consumer Protection Act, is when there's a threat of a ban in a certain area. So other people want it, want it regulated, you know, fully regulated, um, much more for a free market. Um, but we are seeing areas that have regulated it and now they have dosage and it's much, it's much safer. So, so what is the difference between the free market and the regulation then? Uh, the free market is much more a agorist or anarchist approach to it where it's, um, unregulated you know there's no um no government interaction or oversight if there's a company selling a product that gets people sick or is adulterated uh that the free market would you know that 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 message would, would get spread really quick you know, that this company is doing something unscrupulous and then people stop, stop buying from them oh okay okay all right and, and I think with our media, social media now, it's probably a little bit better than what it was before, right? Which is harder to get the message out there, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think uh, I've been thinking along the lines of more regulation. And I think I don't know enough about regulation here in Canada, except that it, the labeling, right? And mm -hmm. so I'm thinking, okay. But, you know, it would also, it'd be like their liquor stores or we have... Um, legalized um, cannabis use here in Canada, right? So we have like uh, liquor stores and we have cannabis stores. Right, right? dispensaries. Yeah, and, uh, and so what they found uh, was there wasn't an increase in cannabis use as a result of opening or legalizing cannabis and opening up the stores, right? Uh, so I'm thinking the same idea for all these other drugs, including uh, Kratom. But I don't know, maybe Kratom should be in these cannabis stores, right? So that there would be a label on there. So Aaron would say, hey, I need something for uh, my withdrawal or I need something. Um, he, I, I don't think he used it. I'm pretty sure he didn't use it for pre-workout, but the... In in my town here, the word on the street is it's used for pre-workout. So um, I don't know if it's through capsules or added powder. Or I have no idea. But Aaron would have probably used it more for his anxiety because that was his biggest challenge. But he could go to a store and say because he did try cannabis. Mm. But he said he didn't find it did enough for him. And so... Um, his withdrawal from uh, his cocaine, that's possible. Um, but he had his thinking was that it was like a detox, right? He would he would he would get this thing and and it would uh, clean his body out sooner so we could get to that assignment and um, get on with his recovery, right? Mm -hmm. Had there been a label on there and they said, well, here you can take this, but just take this amount and give it a try. 
we would not be visiting today as a result of that. It would be and much so safer, yeah. That's that's just where I think that that's where you and I probably I think we align more. I I think you, I see you as more of um I wouldn't say you promote kratom, but you are you are you're not anti kratom. In fact, you find um, it very useful. Um, and for me, I, I don't, I just drink alcohol. I don't use any other substances. Um, but I can only kind of just think about Aaron and what I would want for him is that he'd be able to use it if he wanted to try it. He was an adult. All adults be, should be able to, you know, walk in the store and get some uh, cocaine and get like, oh, I want, you know, two two uses or however they call it and lines <laughs> or whatever, and then uh, buy it and go. Um, yeah, I think heroin, we have heroin that was also given out in Vancouver. It was uh, meth, heroin, and cocaine were the three substances that they were I saw trying that. to pilot. Yeah. And what they found was the emergency personnel uh, responses and money saved from that went way down. Of right? course, yeah. It's yeah. Um, you know these these ideas are you know too radical or you know for for most people to wrap their head around of safe injection sites, safe access, and you know to me it goes back to the uh, the war on drugs. But you know that um, really what what you teach in kindergarten the, the the golden rule: don't hit, don't steal, treat others the way you want to be treated. And, you know, that it's not being applied right now in in the real world because you have police and um, the authoritarians, the, the politicians that for some reason they feel they can use violence. They can use deadly force against people because they possess or consuming a certain substance. So I, I think it's really until we end that. I mean, but for, for you, I, I would... I would not be hesitant at all about um, advocating for safe access for Kratom because um, I'm not sure how, how much you've been on the research on the Kratom consumers or advocates since you made that post. Um, I would imagine, though, that you had some people that were you know, very much pro-Kratom that might have kind of hopped on you did, did did you experience that at all and and can you kind of understand why they would be so passionate uh there were there were a couple of people that i recall that that did jump and and something to the effect of demonizing kratom and uh you know what even that informs me okay i go okay why they think why if if they think I am demonizing it and they think it's okay, I need to understand why they think it's okay. And so uh, on my Facebook post, um, I had one person that I ended up meeting, and um, oh, wow. and it was so informative. It, it changed my thinking about, um, and it aligned more with how I feel about cocaine and um uh, heroin and meth and all those other drugs, party drugs, et cetera, right? And I, instead of Kratom being this thing, this bad thing that happened to my son um, and that I wanted out of my life, I've decided to say, no, th this is 
this is something that that people are using and as soon as you ban or do any of those things it just drives it underground and it becomes more harmful to use and so i don't want that to it because it doesn't have the labeling on it imagine if we had labeling on it right so yeah. um i i don't want to ban it i i I don't have a right to tell you to use or not use Kratom. If you want to try it and you are fully informed or lose some values and, and, and you want to try it, go ahead. I've always, <clears throat> I got to tell you something here. I've always wanted to try ayahuasca. Oh, nice. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I talked to Aaron many times about this. And he would send me information and I would go back. And I even asked my husband, I said, maybe one day when I do it, you could be beside me. Um, but Aaron and I would talk about, because he was into meditation and, and yoga and, and just trying to be more and more aware of his um, struggles and why he's having struggles. Um, he, he tried mushrooms even to try and get some insight. And then he told me about the ayahuasca, and I was like, wow, this is, sounds interesting, right? And it's probably illegally in Canada. I don't even know. But, yeah. you know, it's my right. I, my husband even doesn't get to say, no, you can't do that, right? It's my right as a person living in this world to try. I, I mean, I only live once. Why Why would somebody, somebody want to limit me on, on my life? Yeah, it's going to be dangerous. That can't be part of it. But it's it's my thoughts and values, and I'm an adult, and I can make those, and so can you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I, I would encourage you to look more into it, especially after this. It, it might, you might find some, some healing uh, with mushrooms, a psilocybin trip, or ayahuasca. Um yeah, I've always wanted to do it myself. I've had a lot of uh, great experiences with psilocybin mushrooms. It's been really good. You, you can look up MAPS and M-A-P-S. I think they do have something in Canada where they are doing trials for PTSD um, oh. for, for psilocybin. So that, that, that might be a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So something I thought of, and you know, if you can ask the coroner, what is what she says a fatal level of kratom is and how she came to that conclusion that's um, a really good question yes something it's uh that one researcher from columbia university or used to be from columbia he's in his own company now uh andrew krugel and basically the way he describes it is you know you have a uh, opium or a drug that that's um opium based like heroin or or morphine is a full agonist. So they're, they're like, think of a, a dimmer switch or a, a light switch that goes on and off. It's like turning the light switch all the way on. And with Kratom is so, so that would be a full agonist non-bias. So it, it's, it's not biased how it interacts with the receptor. It goes all the way on. And with Kratom, it's a partial agonist bias. So it's getting a little little uh, scientific, but it, it interacts on these G proteins, and that's how it interacts with the receptor. So because it's biased, it won't basically go through all of the G proteins. It only goes through certain select ones, and like it's only like a dimmer switch. Like you can only turn it up so far. So and that's where you know the 
you get this reaction if you take too much you usually end up vomiting and then have to take a nap it, it's i've never heard of it if it being fatal besides when mixed with other drugs so it's because it's a partial agonist and uh, that researcher krugel and a few others they're like because it's not a full agonist and it can't turn the switch all the way on it can't in interact with the receptor all the, all the way there's it doesn't have the ability to cause a fatal overdose because it doesn't suppress the breathing. So it's really interesting because then you have like Mayo Clinic, I saw you posted that one, where they're parroting a lot of the stuff from FDA with its complete oh. you know, misinformation and that there's no research to back it up. So it's, it's really interesting what the coroner says is a fatal amount and where she got that information from. Right. Right. Good. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Have you ever heard of someone just taking it and then going to sleep, though? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I take it every night before bed. Okay. So then it would be part of that uh, either sedative or quiet the mind kind of stuff, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they say there's... Um... It's basically a lower amount is more for energy and higher amounts is more of a sedative or analgesic. And then it all depends if it's it's a red or um, green. You know, the white time is really like, I say it's the most similar to coffee, um, really give you a nice boost. Green is for kind of any time, a little bit of energy and pain relief. And then red is for, for red for bed. Um, so it was called Red MD. Yeah, so red mangda. It's um, yeah, it's it's actually a, a slang term in um from from Thailand that loosely translates to pimp pimp grade or the the best. So it's usually the best of what they have of that certain brand. But oh. something we're, we're seeing that's completely different than cannabis. They're calling it strains, but there's like you know, cannabis has all these different strains and it has a certain lineage of what, what type of plants the parents are. Um, the strains for Indonesia is completely made up. It's all made up by the farmer or the vendor. So it's, it, they, they'll name it super red or whatever it is. And it all depends on the drying process. That apparently that's when all the alkaloids come out and you can, the, the way it's dried will change the color, will change the, the effect of it. Um, so red mango is usually the best red that they had. Right. So that's something else to really think about is if they tested that powder on its own, what the levels were, like we were talking about. Right. Yeah. I'll definitely email my corner and I'm going to ask her for the, uh, like the levels uh, report. And then I'm going to ask her a couple of these questions. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because, um, yeah, it, it's all good knowledge for me. And, uh, and I'll definitely share that with you. Yeah. Yeah. That'll yeah. be great. I'll, I'll be looking forward to it. And, um, yeah, we have each other's contact information. So if you think of anything or I think of anything, we can get in touch or sh shoot each other an email. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think, I think we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll wrap it up, but, um, you know, really thank you for doing this. And it's, it's really, it's really amazing. I wanted to recognize you for doing that and very courageous what what, what you're doing. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's part of the advocacy because of uh, many people that can't do it on their own. 
um, including my son. Um, so I do it for helping people understand so that the stigma and shame and guilt stops. And, and also to talk about Kratom as this product that's out there that um, has many uses. And uh, we just need more. Um, we need to inform people more on how to use it. And uh, because we're all adults here, we're not giving it to little kids or anything. Um, and, and, and that will help us in the long run for uh, health and well-being. Yeah, and I think it's so important because so many people that have gotten the same terrible news, you know, this misfortunate news of, of a loved one overdosing and to say Kratom was involved or Kratom was the cause. It's a knee-jerk reaction to say, we want to ban it. Um, you know, people shouldn't have access to this. And, you know, you're, you're really going above and beyond. And I'm really hoping to show the other advocates that, um, that, that you know, you're able to see both sides of it and to, to say that you, you don't want to ban it and you're really open to learning more about it and just not taking the, the coroner's word um, as gospel. So yeah. I, I think that's really great. Yeah. Julie taught me a lot about this whole safe supply. From Vancouver. And he comes from lived experience. And uh, I check his Twitter every day because uh, there's something to learn from him. And um, it just it, it is part of my journey is understanding uh, people like yourself. And uh, you guys are all um, good people, good in, in kindness and and but you struggle every day differently than some of us. And it's just not fair. And so we need to figure out a way to support you better. And, and Guy does an incredible job with the people who follow him, but he also goes to high schools and, um, and all kinds of communities to talk about how to stop the and end the stigma and shame. And, and 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 let people know that he's just a person too who's trying to make it in this world. So yeah. I encourage you to have a look at him. I'll yeah, send that, you his link. Yeah, please do. Yeah. That's what I was just gonna ask you for. Okay, I think that was just about to. Uh, thanks again. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and, and talk with us. Um, so I, I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking again really soon. Okay, thank you. Okay. That about does it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, another episode of Kratom Guy Show. If you made it this far, I fucking love you. Thank you so much for listening to the whole thing. You know, your guys, even the listens, um, really do a lot to boost the numbers. But if you would be so kind to leave a review on the Apple Podcast or wherever you're you're listening this to and share it with a friend, that helps so much. But sincerely, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I want to thank Organa for being the show's sponsor. Big thanks and big shout out to Organa and especially everyone who was purchasing from Mass Herbal. I'm not going to leave you hanging. If you are looking for excellent Kratom still, just give me a call. Or if you don't want any Kratom, you just want to talk Kratom, give me a call or send me a text 617-917-5242. 617-917-5242. 
don't forget about the organic giveaway, a $100 gift card. So no strings attached. Just go and leave your email, $100. To enter, simply go to organacratum.com slash the Kratom Guy Show. It is the Kratom Guy Show. And if you're looking for some excellent Kratom from Organa, uh, use the affiliate link in the description or upon checkout, use the coupon code KratomGuy, all one word. So you can also connect with us on YouTube, Kratom Guy Show, and we've got so much planned coming up for the show. Until next time, folks, together, we'll keep Kratom legal, safe, and available for all. Peace.